Hi, everyone. It's Mitch Ashley with DevOps.com, and you're listening to another DevOps Chat Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Chuck Lane. He's a lead software engineer with Salesforce.com. He works on Sales Cloud, which is the Salesforce you and I use, know and love, uh, for our CRM capabilities. Chuck is talking at the Spinnaker Summit 2019 in San Diego, and his talk is about debugging and profiling Spinnaker applications live. And I think live means like live while they're running in production <laughs> and see what's going on. We'll, we'll explore what that is. This talk's on Saturday, November 16th at 3.45 p.m. in San Diego. Chuck, welcome to DevOps Chat. Thank you. Uh, it's nice to be here. Excellent. Awesome to have you here. Would you start by just introducing yourself? Tell us a little bit about you and what you do at Salesforce. Um, yeah, so uh, my name is Chuck Lane. I am a, uh, as you mentioned, a, a lead uh, software engineer. And um, basically, my chief responsibility at Salesforce is to uh, help help bring Salesforce into uh, using Spinnaker for our uh, public cloud-based deployments. So um, as we make a transition uh, to try to move away from uh, first-party architecture and move over into the public cloud. Um, one of the technologies that we're using to do that is Spinnaker, and um, I've established myself as a, a subject matter expert in Spinnaker, and so um, I, I kind of help to bridge the gap between the uh, traditional development uh, and deployment cycle and what that looks like uh, using Spinnaker in a containerized world. Okay, great. You used a, a term there. I'm not no, don't know if I'm familiar with. You mentioned uh, something about moving from first-party architecture to the public cloud. What, what's that mean about the environment you've been in that you're and that what you're moving to? Yeah. So um, basically, what I mean there is that uh, historically, Salesforce has um, owned their own data centers, um, and, and we deployed to those data centers. Um, we are uh, moving, uh, embracing in a big way, uh, public cloud architecture, whether that's through um, AWS, uh, whether, whether that's through GCP or uh, any of the number, uh, any other number of cloud offerings. And um, so as, as opposed to doing uh, what, what some people would call a lift and shift, uh, where, where you just take your software that's meant for um, uh, to be run on on hardware that you own and move it into the cloud. Uh, we're we're doing uh, a fundamental rearchitecture of the software to um, make use of all of the great things that cloud architecture allows us to take advantage of. Mm -hmm. Fantastic! It's interesting to hear a little bit about your own evolution uh, at Salesforce. So your talk is about using Spinnaker, um, you know, really about debugging and finding out uh, problems that are happening in production. But sometimes you might struggle with trying to replicate it into a smaller environment to get the same problems to working. Can you tell us a little bit about what sort of led you down this path to figure out how to do this? Was it a, a big problem that was happening or something you saw repeated over and over, there wasn't a good solution to, and you figured out how to do that. How did this come about? Yeah. So um, basically as you're taking workloads and migrating them over, I mean, when, uh, you know, when you just start with a small subset of, of workloads, um, you know, it, it, the, the path is relatively straightforward and uh, you know, uh, hopefully anyways, and, and you don't run into too many issues that can't, uh, kind of easily be solved, but um, 
the reality is uh, as you transfer more and more work uh, workloads over to the public cloud, uh, that's, you know, the devil's in the details, right? So that's really where, um, you know, things can pop up where uh, you, you're, you're hitting various limits um, or uh, software isn't, ex isn't uh, performing in the way that you would expect it to perform. And um, th these are the situations where we, uh, where it can be very beneficial uh, to jump in uh, into uh, production software and, and really, um, you know, sometimes slap, slap a debugger on it and see exactly what it is that it's doing that differs from kind of what you expect, um, you know, and, and that, that can help you kind of tailor your workloads um, in, in such a way that, uh, that you can make things run more smoothly. Mm -hmm. I, I know sometimes using debuggers to enabling them, uh, that can be helpful, but also can be too much information trying to sort through what all is happening, trying to find what should you be looking at. What are some of the challenges you, you've found by turning on debugging or using debuggers? Yeah, well, so, um, I mean, there definitely is is that problem that you're saying just as far as uh, too much information that's coming out. Um, one of the nice things about Spinnaker and the way that the services are written is you have um, – uh, very fine-grained tuning over which libraries inside of Spinnaker you tell it to, to print out debug information. So mm -hmm. if we know that, you know, there's a, a hiccup with, um, you know, one of the data binding layers or a hiccup with one of the um, uh, authorization layers, then we can, uh, through the config files, we can, and, and Java settings, we can really target that explicit directory, or I'm sorry, that explicit library and say, you know, give me all the debug information that you have. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, failing that, I mean, uh, there, there are definitely times when uh, it's been advantageous and, and the best course of action is uh, just to go down and actually look at the code and see what it's doing. Um, and, and, you know, again, there, uh, it's best to do that under, uh, you know, you can't do it in production usually, but what we can do is, uh, you know, simulate uh, a load that's similar to what we would see in production and really, really take a look at what what's going on to help us identify, uh, you know, the, those algorithms that might be, um, you know, uh, O of N squared instead of uh, a login or, or something like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, are, are there some specific techniques? I know in your description of your talk, you talked about, you know, using remote JVM debugging, custom profile builds, you know, even using HTOP, you know, at uh, a, a Unix command or, or Linux command to, uh, to help you figure out what's happening with multi-threaded microservices. Sounds like a variety of different approaches that you've, you've kind of uncovered and learned that you can use to figure out what's happening. Yeah, and so, um, I mean, in general, we like to run as closely to the uh, open source uh, builds as we can, the ones that are provided by, by Spinnaker, which is ultimately uh, ultimately provided by Google. But there definitely are circumstances where, um, you know, we, we need an extra tool, uh, be it HTOP, be it something like Glowroot, um, which is a, a Java application profiler, 
um, where, where what we'll do then is we'll go in and we'll uh, build a custom image uh, using uh, the Spinnaker images as a base and then tack on those additional libraries and, uh, you know, put them into the Spinnaker ecosystem and then launch them up just to see uh, what additional information we can get out of there. And so, uh, you know, uh, one, one scenario where, where that was really useful to us, um, we ran into uh, a scenario where um, uh, CloudDriver, which is the CloudDriver's the main tool that talks back and forth to all of our different cloud infrastructures. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sometimes calls to CloudDriver were taking uh, upwards of, uh, well, two to three minutes to respond. Now, um, you know, timeouts are set in such a way that if it doesn't hear anything back in about 30 or 60 seconds, then it just disregards that load. And, uh, you know, so that, that created quite a bit of problems for us. Um, by building a custom uh, CloudDriver image that had HTOP in it, we were able to go in there and we were able to see that um, the majority of the processes that were running were actually running um, basically commands to reach out to the Kubernetes clusters and get a list of all of the namespaces that are in the Kubernetes cluster. And uh, talking it over with some of the Spinnaker developers, uh, what, what we found is that if you, if you have um, uh, 15 or so clusters that you're connecting to Spinnaker, then um, you know, that's not so much of a problem to, um, to go and query each of those uh, to get the list of namespaces. But as you scale up, on the order of you know four or five hundred different clusters, the way that we do, then uh, a lot of the delays and a lot of your time um, can be you know just essentially kubectl calls waiting to return to you the lists of namespaces uh, that that you need to go and scan. So um, we implemented a, uh, a a workflow based solution for that, basically where um, you know, we, we let our teams know that um, when they're creating their clusters, they should use Terraform to go ahead and, and create the, um, the clusters, I'm sorry, the namespaces that they'll be using. And then mm -hmm. uh, if they need to use a namespace after the fact, then we provide a pipeline that they can use that will uh, dynamically add in an, an additional namespace that, that their cluster will start to scan. So that, that saves us from scanning, you know, all the clusters all the time, um, which was causing, you know, quite a bit of performance bottlenecks. Yeah, I would imagine that would have some overhead, maybe a lot of overhead if you're doing that frequently. So it sounds like a way to both reduce overhead, but also to get the information faster. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Um, so in your talk, are you going to be doing any demos? I know there's always the demo Grandwind, or are you going to be just showing, uh, you know, talking about what, what some of these techniques are? Um, so I plan on doing some demos um, as far as, um, yeah, you know, uh, you know, I may do the, uh, what's the, the easy bake oven a little bit as far as, uh, you know, uh, 
you know, he, here's the, here's the behavior and here's what we found in code. But, um, you know, it, uh, from what I understand, uh, you know, a lot of that stuff can kind of be dependent upon internet connectivity, uh, at the actual site. So if it's something where, uh, we have good, good internet connectivity, then by all means, I, I plan on, you know, walking through a couple of debugging scenarios as, as close to uh, what we would do in real time as possible. Yep. Well, you know, someone somewhere, it's been a while ago, gave me the great advice of uh, you know, have your live demo and have your disconnected demo <laughs> ready in the background. So you can always at least show something locally if you can't get on the net. So if you're depending upon the network, I'm not sure if you are for your demo, but uh, always a good lesson, right? <laughs> sure, exactly. Great. Um, are there any other kind of uh, lessons learned, um, common mistakes or mistakes that you or others might have made along the way, kind of so those hard things you learn by by uh, trial and error that you, you plan on sharing? Um, I mean, well, there are, there are, shoo, it's, you know, I've been working on Spinnaker for a couple of <laughs> years. So there's, there's definitely been a lot of uh, hard lessons learned here. But uh, honestly, what I would do is I would I would encourage um, anybody who wants to get into Spinnaker to uh, not just hang around the Slack channel because the Slack channel uh, does have a tendency to get overrun with you know just uh, uh, you know kind of people posting uh, their stack traces and just saying hey has anybody ever seen this before and um, you know uh, I've gotten a lot more success by uh, you know, going through the commits, looking at the people who actually authored the code, and then reaching out that, to them directly with, you know, more than, hey, can you explain this to me? But rather, you know, hey, I, I see what you did here and I see what you did here. Uh, I'm running into problems with, you know, these lines. Do you have a, a different approach or is there something that I could be doing differently? Um, and the other thing that I just can't overstate is, the value of being a member of one of the special interest groups. So, um, yeah, so I'm a, I'm a member of the Kubernetes, uh, V2 special interest group that's led by, uh, Eric Zemini and, and Ethan Rogers and, uh, from Armory and Eric's from Google. And it is, you know, it has mm -hmm. been just an absolute wealth of information. And, you know, honestly, I don't know if, if we ever would have gotten nearly as far, as we had without those two people. So, uh, you know, yeah, I would just say that the community is, is really friendly and, and we always welcome new members who are ready to learn. You know, I think both of those are great suggestions and I really appreciate that you made those because one, things like the Slack channels on, on projects, open source, those can be a bit intimidating. Sometimes they're not approachable because there's just so much noise, so much happening on, on it, and uh, people reaching out for help, like you, you talked about. Here's a, here's a stack trace I'm trying to figure out. Um, but also your 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 recommendation of reaching out to the code authors. You know what? It's people like to help each other, and you know it might seem like, hey, the people who wrote wrote this, you know, aren't going to have time to bother with me. They love to hear from people that are using their stuff and talk about it and help them out, but also hear about how they're using it. And, you know, of course, you're always looking for ideas and feedback and stuff like that. And it sounds like you've had that kind of an experience. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, you know, the big thing is just 
you know, as a coder, it's easy to tell the people who are coming to you and just kind of wanting you to fix it for them. And the people that are coming to you that have really tried Mm -hmm. to tackle it themselves. And, you know, I can't speak highly enough about the, uh, the latter rather than the former. I mean, that mm-hmm. you know, just just give it your best shot, and when you get stuck, reach out to somebody, and and it's you know, it can be immensely valuable. It's kind of like going to a foreign country, wherever you are. If you're American, going somewhere else, or vice versa. Everybody appreciates you trying to speak the native language, and at some point, when they see you struggle enough, you, you how far you can go, they're they're glad to help you and you know speak in your language. So same kind of thing with helping people with code. If you can just fob your problem off onto the developer of it, not appreciated so much, but they appreciate that you tried to take it as far as you could. And as you mentioned, go look at the code and figure yep. out what's going on. You'll, you'll get immense respect, you know, even if you aren't a coder at that level, the, that level of software developer, uh, it'll mean a lot to the developers. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, hey, I think you're going to have a fascinating talk and I, and I love that, um, you know, this idea of trying to figure out what, what's happening in, in production and some of the techniques that, that you've uh, come up with and developed and have experienced and the fact that you're sharing those with others. I'm curious, do you contributing code to the Spinnaker project in, in any areas? Are you primarily a practitioner user of it? Um, so I, I have, I've, I've got a, a few smaller PRs that have been pushed through. Um, but, uh, really the bulk of my, uh, commits right now have actually been to the Spinnaker website, uh, the, uh, mm-hmm. the documentation. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't know, uh, Javi, Java or Groovy or Kotlin maybe as, as well. Well, and some, some of the patterns they use are a little bit, um, I, I come from a .NET world, so they're they're a little bit um, foreign to me. But um, but yeah, I've I've definitely written uh, a number of different documentation pages, um, and um, and I, I found that that's a that's a great way to kind of get in. And um, I've I've even got some PRs that are coming up soon that aren't you know doc related. So uh, so yeah, hopefully you'll you'll see my name more. Excellent. Well, you know what? Documentation is important too. There's some folks doing talks at Spinnaker Summit uh, that, uh, you know, kind of ran into that uh, that point where, hey, there's documentation for doing it one way, but not under this set of, uh, you know, configurations or software. So that's a contribution too. So congratulations for being a part of the community and for sharing also your experience at the summit. So Chuck, appreciate you being on the, on the podcast today. Oh, no. No, no, thank you. It's been an absolute privilege. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Fantastic. I wish you all the best with your talk. I'm sure it'll be great. And uh, hopefully folks listen to this podcast. uh, We'll draw some more interest and bring folks to to listen to you. So I'd like to thank our guest today, Chuck Lane. He's a lead software engineer at salesforce.com. So you can imagine the environment he's working in. There's some super good lessons that Chuck's bringing to the table. Now he's going to be, going to be talking at Spinnaker Summit 2019, which is in San Diego, November 15th through the 19th. His talk is debugging and profiling Spinnaker applications live. And his talk is on Saturday, November 16th at 3.45 p.m. Also, I'd like to thank you, you are listeners, for joining us today. This is Mitch Ashley with DevOps.com. Have a great day and be careful out there.